Today I'm talking to Donna Marie Cooper O'Boyle about her newest book, Divine Mercy in a Woman's Life, Milestones Along the Way. That's from Marion Press. And we're recording this on the day of the release, on August 31st, though we'll probably be broadcasting this rather later. Donna Marie, it's great to have you here today. Well, thank you so much, Chris. It's great to be back with you again. You've written a new book about divine mercy in a woman's life. How has divine mercy ended up so much at the center of your own life? Well, that's such a great question. And as I've tried to express before, it's difficult to pinpoint exactly when divine mercy found its way into my life and and really how it became so much at the center of my life. However, I know it was all God's doing. You know, God is love and mercy. And he's always shown up in my life ever since I can remember and continued to be, oh, so merciful Mm -hmm. to me all throughout the crooked path of my life and, you know, within all of those dark and scary corners, too. And I, I really feel that God has molded me to become a merciful person. And this is all by his amazing grace. So he, you know, he puts love into our hearts and he teaches us to be attentive to his movements, you know, to see and to recognize the need of others, you know, all of their needs to help Mm -hmm. us. Um, He shows his mercy, you know, he shows his mercy to us and he asks us to show it to them, you know, the suffering, the doubtful, the wounded, you know, people we rub elbows with, people in our own households, people we meet out on the street, you know, any place. And and I really wholeheartedly believe that God was the one that introduced me to his secretary of divine mercy, Saint Faustina, mm-hmm. you know, who became a sister to me. And I, I ask her all the time for her help. And in getting to know dear Faustina through prayer, through reading the diary and literature on her, I I feel I've delved, you know, deeper and deeper into God's divine mercy, and I can't help but share it with others. So I Mm -hmm. hope that's a way of answering your question and why I wanted to write this book in the first place. And so it really sounds like there were kind of two phases of of your spirituality of mercy in your life. The first, just knowing God, knowing Christ, knowing living Christianity. And then at a certain point that Faustina herself and the particular message and devotion are introduced to you. Is that about right? Yes, exactly. That's a, that's it. Okay. Who who do you think helped you learn so young about the mercy of God? Who modeled kind of that relationship with God for you growing up? God. <laughs> oh, who modeled it in my life? Well, you know, really, Chris, I, I might have said this to you before, but um, I don't know. God made me a contemplative little girl. You mm-hmm. know, when I, as I was growing up, there was a lot of strife in my life. There was a lot of uh, a lot of stuff going on in, in our large family, you know, just, you know, it wasn't peaches and cream all the time. And so mm-hmm. what would I do? I would retreat to prayer, whether it was in my bedroom, at the side of my bed, kneeling there, whether it was outside, sitting on the grass and, you know, praying to God. So I, um, by the grace of God, I developed this um, relationship with God in prayer, you know, and I, I learned all of of his mercy through the way he loved me, just through the way he listened to my prayers. And I'm very thankful and very blessed. I feel so deeply grateful that he made me a soul of prayer. I'm not trying to point any attention to myself by saying that. I just mean that, you know, thank God, you know, he, mm-hmm. he comes into our lives and thank God for his love. And, and I'm 
I'm just very thankful for that. Okay. Does that kind of, is that some of the roots of why you feel so passionate about exploring divine mercy in the particular context of the life of a modern Catholic woman? Well, the short answer, Chris, is that I'm absolutely convinced that God's mercy is absolutely essential in our mm -hmm. lives, you know, spiritual and otherwise, because God's mercy is for men and for women. You know, this book is for women, but hopefully men will read it too. Mm -hmm. um, but because I'm a woman, you know, I know something about how we operate, what we crave, what we need, you know, how mm -hmm. we fall short and how we fail. And also how women are the life bearers, you know, the nurturers. You know, women have been entrusted with the human being. So, you know, if you read John Paul, St. John Paul II's letter to women and Mulieres Dignitato mm -hmm. on the dignity and vocation of women, we learn about this. So, you know, women are absolutely called to be spiritual mothers to others, not just to our own families, but to our neighborhoods and our communities and even to complete strangers, you know, so to encourage other women, I often weave those kinds of stories into my books and, you know, try to give examples of how we're to carry out the works of mercy and how God unfolds these amazing encounters and opportunities to be a spiritual mother. So I believe women are also like gatekeepers, you know, mm -hmm. very much like our sister, St. Faustina. And I tell about her encounters at the gate in my book divine mercy in a woman's life. So I think women guard the gate, you know, mm -hmm. we have a huge responsibility after all, because God has entrusted us with the human being. So it's a long answer to your question, but I feel very passionate about exploring divine mercy as it pertains to a woman's life, because mm -hmm. women need God's mercy more than ever, you know, and if we can help you know, one another by sharing divine mercy and being missionaries of divine mercy, then I think the world would be, you know, such a better place and people could even be healed of their deep wounds and people could turn away from sin and turn toward God. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that this was given in modern times to a modern woman? Why, why would God have sort of reserved this private revelation for now? Mm. Well, just turn on the news or maybe don't. <laughs> I don't <laughs> like to watch it. Open the front door, mm -hmm. you know, open up the newspaper. Gosh, we need we need it now for sure. I mean, we've needed God's mercy all throughout history. Mm -hmm. But for his reasons, you know, he he's God. He knows why he did it. I don't know exactly why, you know, it happened exactly with St. Faustina. But um, he knew we need his mercy. And he used her, this humble little girl, little peasant girl, you know, mm -hmm. to, to be able to propagate this uh, not new revelation. It was, God was always merciful, but yeah. to tell the world about it and to tell us, you know, we've got to uh, learn about his mercy and spread his mercy and don't wait till the last minute and just think, well, God's so merciful, you know, it doesn't yeah. matter what I do in life, you know, at the last minute, I'll say, I'm sorry. But yes, it, we, we need mercy more than ever at this time. There's so, so much, um, uh, so many things to worry about, so many things to be fearful of, you know, and and um, so we can turn to God's mercy and okay. hopefully teach others and help them to do it as well. Okay. And, and kind of one thing I think is so crucial is the way in which St. Festina was in, in many ways seemingly just an ordinary woman. 
And yet she has this incredible mission and this incredible life of visions and revelations and all that. What does this tell us about the ordinary woman's potential for great sanctity and also yes. the possibilities for womanhood more broadly, for the feminine genius, for great cooperation with God? Wow, that's, you know, such a, a great question because St. Faustina was such an ordinary woman and some might even say she was like a simpleton or even insignificant person you know what could she accomplish anyway she was a, a poor farm girl with practically no formal education yet by god's grace and her yes to god amazing things happened you know so god entrusted this simple young woman with the weight of divine mercy upon her shoulders to propagate it to the world mm -hmm. and he calls every single woman to great sanctity you know, we might recall here that another seemingly simple uh, person, but a saint, Mother Teresa, often preached that holiness is not the luxury of a few, but a simple duty for you and me. Mm -hmm. So, yes, God calls every woman to the great heights of sanctity, which is accomplished through ordinary, simple things within our, our daily lives. You know, rising to the occasion, using the virtues, um, serving others. And you mentioned the feminine genius. Yes, women are called by God to use the amazing gifts that he gives us to evangelize, you know, and to nurture the faith in others and to teach and to love and to help transform hearts with God's grace, you know, really to soothe the savage beast because he gives us these beautiful gifts of receptivity and generosity, sensitivity, maternity, and so many more gifts. He gives these to us. Some women aren't really aware of these gifts they've yet to discover them because of the way the world is and how you know women are bombarded and everything else but that's our job as as a, a person as a person not just as a woman to help others to discover the gifts mm -hmm. but i believe catholic women can cooperate with god's graces to do so and it really starts with prayer you know that is so essential for our spiritual survival so it's very very important to carve out those times of prayer okay how would you describe the feminine genius? I mean, in some ways, it's modeled for us by the Blessed Virgin, certainly, and in other ways expressed in the particular lives of the female saints. But what is this concept that John Paul found so important? Well, you know, and I love St. John Paul II so much because he really understood the heart of a woman. You know, he's like a, a hero to women. Just look at his writings and listen to him preach. And so... You know, it's it's hard for me to exactly explain the feminine mm -hmm. genius, but I, I try to do that in all my writings and my talks and everything, just to encourage women to really tap into those God-given gifts, those beautiful gifts I just mentioned mm -hmm. a minute ago, and and you know to use those gifts and to to pray to be that light, you know, a beacon of light to the world. To use God gives men specific gifts and women specific gifts, you know. Mm -hmm. And so we are to, to use those gifts. And that's what he, I believe he calls the feminine genius, you know, to, to model ourselves after the Blessed Mother, to be virtuous, to pray, to strive for holiness, and mm -hmm. to do everything we can to help everyone, you know, the sinner, the person who's driving you nuts, yeah. you know, the people you love dearly, everyone, to, to help them to get to heaven, to use those beautiful, beautiful gifts mm -hmm. that God gives not to let them go stagnant or not to you know and it's hard in our world today because we're so bombarded and women are 
you know, told they should be more like a man to succeed or to be more like this or more like that instead of, you know, letting their beautiful feminine gifts um, flourish and to use those gifts. Yeah. Okay. Now you said that you hope that men pick this up as well. What can men expect to learn from this book, do you think? Well, yeah, it might seem like a, a, a huge stretch <laughs> to suggest it, you know, but I know right now, as we speak, Chris, a gentleman I know is reading this book. Okay, so mm -hmm. I sent a copy to him and he's very thankful. And, and he said to me, even though it's mainly for women, what, what is best for women is best for men, too, he said. Mm -hmm. And he added, he said, reading your book will help us men understand women better. That's what he told me. And he actually brings my book to adoration. And so um, he said, you know, he's really getting a lot out of it. So my hope is that men will read this book to learn more about how women operate, you know. Um, and also, um, the, I think that men can be helped, too, by the church teaching that's woven throughout this book and the compelling stories, because mm -hmm. I think they really stir the heart, the stories that I feel God provided to me to put into this book. So I think it's the kind of book that um, could help anyone. And, um, and so, you know, that as I was writing the introduction to this book, it really came to my heart that, you know, I hope men will read this too, because um, then they'll learn, you know, a lot about women. Because we, a lot of times they think, wow, women are so mysterious. Well, if you think we're so mysterious here, pick up this book and learn a little bit more about us. Yeah. That would be a great gift, I think, to a lot of men. Yes. Who do you think are some of the greatest models of divine mercy in women's lives? Well, well, that would depend upon uh, what you mean, mm -hmm. specifically like names of saints or types of people. So I think maybe I should tell you both. Okay. Um, okay. So the great models of divine mercy, I think, are to be found in grandmothers, mm. in mothers. In aunts, you know, aunts, religious nuns, godmothers, and teachers. And that said, sadly, without God in the picture, these mm -hmm. women in these roles might fail to impart God's divine mercy simply because they lack it themselves. But these are the, the beautiful roles, you know, if these women use the feminine genius, mm -hmm. you know, they could lead vibrant lives of faith. And we need that. We need those lives of faith in order to radiate and impart God's mercy to others. And with regard to specific people, there are so many, but maybe just to name a few, I'd, I'd say certainly St. Faustina, of course. Mm -hmm. He's a great model of divine mercy for us. Mother Teresa, you know, look at her, all mercy, all love and mercy. And St. John Paul II, of course, the mm -hmm. mercy pope, blessed Michael Sapochko, you know, St. Faustina's uh, director, um, St. Padre Pio, and uh, St. Therese, you know, she continually carried out works of mercy. She even said, a word, a kindly smile will often suffice to gladden a wounded and sorrowful heart. So she was all about doing little things with, with great love, you know, mm -hmm. so... And back to St. John Paul II, just for a minute, he was indeed, you know, such a mercy messenger. He said, there's nothing more man needs than divine mercy, that love which is benevolent, 
which is compassionate, mm-hmm. which raises man above his weakness to infinite heights, to the holiness of God. Yep. You know, and we know that St. John Paul II forgave his would-be assassin. And that, you know, really exhibits great mercy toward, toward you know, toward that yeah. man. So there's so many saints, uh, you know, I'm sure every one of them is, is a great model of divine mercy. Um, but I just named just a few yeah. favorites and um and people in our lives, you know, that can help us to learn about divine mercy. So what I'm hearing you really kind of identify is the way in which some roles in life are inherently merciful and and just sort of have mercy go with them naturally. Um, yes. And then and then that kind of the it seems like the common thread with the saints you named is um, outstanding for the works of mercy, for one or more of the works of mercy. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes, and their own charisms. You know, God gave them their own specific gifts and charisms. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, not everybody could be Mother Teresa. Saint Faustina was yeah. full of mercy. She knew all about divine mercy, and so was Mother Teresa. But they had different roles. You know, they uh, lived in a different way. Um, mm-hmm. And so we each have our own individual gifts that God gives us, and He gives us a mission. Everybody has a specific mission, or one or more. 12 or however many missions he gives us to, you know, so he, he, he tells us what to do and we pray to be attentive to his voice and we pray to be cooperative of his graces. And so Mm -hmm. mercy can be imparted in in so many different ways, but it should always be holy. It should always be prayerful and holy. Yeah. Well, and, and it sort of suggests that, that in any life there can be, roles where mercy is appropriate or there can be occasions for the works of mercy. Um, Jesus told Faustina about the word, the act, and the prayer of mercy, I remember. Um, yes. So so any woman's life, a woman who is bedridden, a woman who is a mother, a woman who is single, any woman then has room for mercy in her life to live mercy? Absolutely, as long as she's breathing and also when she's in heaven too, she can still be merciful by praying, praying for people. But yes, whatever, wherever God puts us, whatever state of life, whatever condition um, we're in, you know, like you said, we could be in bed, bedridden, or we could be out and about. So God, I have no doubt that God always supplies the, you know, opportunities. Mm-hmm. They're unfolding left and right. If we would just wake up and be attentive, you know, yeah. get off of our devices, stop looking at our cell phones to check the latest status update and all of that kind of thing, because we're going to miss out on what God is asking us to do. Yeah. St. John Paul II mentioned, you know, that women are entrusted with the human being, but he said uh, a lot about the awareness of that mission, that word awareness. Well, we can't really be aware of this beautiful mission from God if we're involved in so many other things and not really listening to God, mm-hmm. or we get even too busy with holy things we think are holy. You know, we could get too busy with too many committees and too much stuff we're doing that mm-hmm. we neglect to, you know, pause to really pray and connect with our Creator, you know, who's trying to talk to us and trying to lead us. And, and you know, so women can be very busy um but you know we want to pray to slow down to Mm -hmm. to listen to god and whatever shape we're in whatever uh state of life we're in we can we can indeed uh, impart a work of mercy whether it's in deed or in word or in prayer and certainly always in prayer 
you know, yeah. even if we're very, very ill, we're, we're, we can be still lifting our hearts and, and minds to God and asking him, you know, to help our own soul and the souls of others. Okay. And like you said, one of the great models of living mercy was Mother Teresa, and you knew her personally. How did you come to meet Mother Teresa? Well, that's a miracle in itself, Chris. And I, I sometimes, if I have time to just pause for a moment, I, I, you know, I, I recall it and I say, I can't even believe that God allowed this beautiful miracle in my life to know saints, you know. Mm -hmm. And one of them was, I believe, it was, was a living saint, was Father John Hardin, who was my spiritual director. And at the time, he wanted a face-to-face -face meeting in Washington, D.C., many, many years ago. So I guess around 30 years ago or something. And so while we were there uh, visiting, he told us that, he told my family that Mother Teresa had a convent in that, you know, in D.C. and that um, her sisters had a home for the dying there. And he actually encouraged us, you know, to visit the sisters. So after we had our meetings with Father Hardin, you know, we took him up on his encouragement. We, just, we went over to the convent. We visited the sisters. And the first thing they did was take us to the home for the dying, the gift of peace house in their, you know, convent. And so that in itself was such a beautiful experience um, to see the people there and the sisters telling us, you know, this one, he's, he's going to die soon. And this one here, you know, and very, there was a very holy atmosphere in that place where they were. And, you know, we tiptoed through and listened to the sisters and, and we had a beautiful experience and we came out from there. And then one of the sisters told us that um, pretty much something like this. Um, you, we'd love for you to come back tomorrow to our mass, to a mass. We have two. We have one at 7 a.m. We have one at 11 a.m. And, and it was kind of like she said, and by the way, she said, and Mother Teresa will be at one of the masses. We don't know which one she'll be at. And I was thinking to myself, wow, I didn't know she was even in the country at the time. And here she was right there. Mm -hmm. And so it was exciting for our family to know that um, we see the sisters again, we'd go to that beautiful holy place, and maybe, maybe we'd see Mother Teresa. And so the next day we went over to the convent and um, we went there very early. Um, we were at a hotel and we had to get all the kids up real early and, and get over to where the convent was and take our sandals and shoes off at the door because we saw the sisters sandals all lined up there and we thought okay I guess that's the custom we took our shoes off and we went in for the 7 a.m mass and I knelt down on the floor the bare floor with the family because the sisters lived exactly as the poor they didn't have creature comforts like pews <laughs> and kneelers and things like that it was just an uh, a room without air conditioning and it was in the heat of the summer they wanted to live just like the poor but their chapel had an altar a tabernacle and statue of the blessed mother and the words i thirst right behind um you know right near the tabernacle and i could talk for hours on that but i won't don't worry <laughs> but uh, i write about it in my books the words i thirst you know jesus uttered those words when he was hanging from the cross and how he thirsts for the salvation souls. Now, Mother Teresa, you know, took that to her heart, you know, and she 
she did everything to satiate the thirst of Jesus on the cross. She lived her life in such a way that she was constantly serving him in the poor, in the homeless, in the abandoned, in the alcoholic, in the suburban housewife, me, you know, she met in Princess Diana, whoever it was who she met was mm -hmm. Jesus, her, and the distressing disguise of the poorest of the poorest, she would say. So here we were in this chapel, very stark, but that the, the starkness really drew my heart. And I realized how much Mother Teresa had always said, you know, you need to find silence to, to pray, to properly pray. You need to not be, you know, she didn't want to be attached to things. And so here you had this beautiful spirit of silence and prayer. And so we're kneeling there. I'm trying to get my kids all quiet and reverent and everything. And I feel a presence come by me on my left and out of the corner of my eye, there she was, the hero of the poorest of the poor. There was this short little hunched over woman, Mother Teresa, right there walking by me in her bare feet. And she then made her way, you know, and just knelt down. And like, it was like a sea of white saris of these sisters all kneeling down on the floor in the chapel. And I said to myself, I said, I thought, wow, we made it to the right mass. And as soon as I said that to myself, I told me, Donna, get your mind back on the mass. That's what you're here for. Never mind the fact that there's a living saint right there. Mm -hmm. So it was a beautiful, beautiful experience. And it all, you know, the mass was beautiful, but I had to tiptoe in and out so many times with my littlest one who was under two years old because she was, you know, restless in that hot room and she was, you know, making little noises and I didn't want to disturb these holy nuns thinking, well, they don't know anything about little kids, but of course they do. They come from families and mm -hmm. they know all about children, but still I wanted to be reverent and, yep. and so tiptoed out, came back in. So leading, this all leads up to after mass, we were leaving and my daughter Shaldea, who's now uh, a wife, a mother, and she's the mother of my two grandchildren. She was six at the time. She knelt down in front of the, she genuflected in front of the tabernacle. And a nun came running over and grabbed her and hugged her from behind. And then she went into a different room. And I looked and I thought, wow, that was Mother Teresa who just hugged my daughter because mm -hmm. Sheldaya was making a beautiful sign of the cross and saying goodbye to Jesus before we left the chapel. So we went out into the foyer See, this is a long answer, Chris, to your question. You could tell well, I great. like to talk. I, I, you know, I, one of the things that I found so funny when I was out Franciscan for my master's degree was that it seemed like everyone there had their story of meeting Mother Teresa, it felt like, except for me. And, and so, oh. you know, we're moving further and further away from the generations that knew her in life that I think it's important to share this sort of story. Oh, well, thank you, Chris. Well, that's why I do share the stories because uh, um, I feel like I can't keep this to myself. All of the experiences I had with her from that day forward, which mm -hmm. I put into my books and I talk about, but uh, I, I was, you know, shy all the time. I grew up very shy and I, I never liked to draw attention to myself. I didn't choose to be a TV host and an mm -hmm. international speaker and all of that. But God wanted me, you know, I, I know God pushed me forth to tell the stories, to share the faith. To, you know, so this is what happened in my life. There's a lot more to it. But just saying that quickly, that I, I chose not to talk about all this stuff because I felt it was very private. It was very, I didn't want to sound like I'm bragging. Oh, I knew Mother Teresa. 
But there came a time in my journey when I knew that I needed to speak up and that ended up, that's another story too. But, you know, I needed to share of my own self, my own life to help others, you know, to give others hope. And so many people are struggling and they need to hear inspiring stories. And they also need to hear about your suffering and how Mm -hmm. God got you through it. But just back to Mother Teresa, my daughter genuflected. Um, She, you know, ran over and then she went out of the room. And so we went into the foyer and there were just two other lay people there and a couple of the sisters and ourselves and I, at that point, I was holding Jessica so she wouldn't get into any trouble because she was a little bit rambunctious. Mm-hmm. And the door opened, and here comes Mother Teresa straight toward me. Um, and I was holding Jessica. So she comes over, and she's reaching her hand out. And I meditated on that. Later on, I thought, wow, that wrinkled hand, you know, that picked maggots out of people, that blessed people, that baptized thousands of people, that gave so much love to just the abandoned and all these people. And here she was taking the time to come to us. So she put her hand on Jessica and she looked in my eyes and she said, is this the baby that was singing at mass? (laughs) So that was nice to hear because, you know, she wasn't really singing. She was making little noises and, and everything. But Mother Teresa had such a nice attitude. And that opened up this beautiful conversation about the family. And she said, you're blessed to have a family. And I said, uh, I'm so, you know, you're blessed. That she, no, she said the children are so blessed to have you because she was used to seeing such poverty. And I said, I'm so blessed to have them. Mm-hmm. And we talked for a long time. And then finally, when it was time, we felt like we need to let her get back to her real work. And so <clears throat> we were with her for a good length of time. And then we all hugged her goodbye. And it was like hugging my grandmother. I felt like when I hugged Mother Teresa, that I had known her my whole life. And, and I I think, you know, when I thought about it later, I realized it's the, it was Jesus in her, you know, it was, it was so holy. It was such a holy embrace that um, that's why I just felt that I just knew her. So we, we did, I didn't think anything could top that because mm-hmm. that was such a beautiful experience. And it was about seven or eight hours to get back home to Connecticut. And um, so I was writing down a few notes and, you know, thinking about it quietly while the kids were napping in the car. And later on, um, you know, I wrote a few things down, reflections. And, and then I, something kept prodding, you know, I just kept feeling like I want to write to Mother... Oh, I forgot to say, she gave us each a blessed, miraculous medal, too, when she saw, saw us, you know, met us. And so I wanted to thank her for the blessed, miraculous medal, for her time with us. But as soon as I thought about that, I said, no, I don't want to take up any more of her time. So, nope, I'm not going to do it. <clears throat> but the thought kept prodding me. <clears throat> Excuse me. So finally, I had to call the mother superior. <clears throat> and I talked to her and I said, you know, I want to write to her to thank her. But I don't want to bother her because she's got important work to do. And she said, Donna, you are to write her. And here is her address. And it was like it was prophetic. It was so direct. And I said, even though it was so direct, I said, are you sure? (laughs) Are you sure? And she said, yes, you are to write to her. So, you know, Chris, it's a good thing I listened because, um, you know, I did write to her. And within a few weeks, I got my first of the 22 letters that she sent to me um, in my mailbox. And I... I couldn't believe it. And so, you know, all throughout the next almost 10 years, we carried on a correspondence. I ended up seeing her on 12 more occasions. I even had a phone call 
phone conversation between Calcutta and the States at a time that I was going through a, a huge, huge trial. And she, um, she was praying for me and for the family. And so it was really incredible how that all unfolded. You know, people might say it was a coincidence that we were down in Washington, D.C. at the time and all of this. But I believe God, you know, God, it was God's divine providence. And like I said, I kept it quiet for a long time um, until I think when my first book was coming out and then the, the reporters were asking questions and things like that. And so then I revealed <laughs> that I, you know, knew Mother Teresa that in that way. And, and, and I like to share, you know, all the wisdom that I've learned from her throughout the, throughout the years, you know, because it's not for me to hang on to, it's to share and to help others. Sorry about such a long answer to your question. That's okay. I think it, in some ways it makes it easier to see all this kind of in someone's life and yes. to, to watch Mother Teresa makes plain what a thousand theology books would kind of obscure. Mm-hmm. Not to talk down theology books. I like theology books. We publish books. But, but you know, it's so important to have living witnesses as well. Yes, Absolutely. I know, just watching her, you know, uh, spoke volumes, just the littlest thing. And the sparkle in her eye, and when she looked at you, she was looking right, yep. right into your soul. She was looking into your eyes and into your soul. And it, it's, it's very hard to explain the experiences, but I do my best so that I can help, you know, others uh, and hopefully help mm-hmm. them to feel inspired and to want to model themselves after that kind of charism that she had, you know, to take care of the poorest of the poor. We can do that in so many ways. We don't have to run off the Calcutta, as you know. Yeah. And, you know, the poor, as Mother Teresa said, are in our midst. And there's so much poverty in the Western world with uh, the lack of love that a lot of people feel. So yep. that's another conversation. There's so much we could say about that. Yeah, absolutely. What's the most surprising or unexpected insight or story you you came up, you came across while you're working on this book? Yeah, well, that's a great question. I'd say a few different, quite a few different things happen. You know, one is that I think, first of all, one is that when I was mapping out the table of the table of contents, you know, with all the different milestones in a woman's life and the topics to cover, and and after beginning to write the book and all throughout, you know, amazing, amazing, poignant stories unfolded, like all having to do with divine mercy, and that in itself was pretty amazing because. I had set out to write specific things, you know, and pray and research and interview people. And, and I knew that, with, you know, I've learned things about people and that kind of thing. Um, but it, it was pretty amazing how, you know, I was writing something for this specific chapter and then it all tied into divine mercy too, not just that milestone. So like as an example of a surprise, um, mm-hmm. when I was interviewing one woman uh, for a particular story that would fit into a specific chapter, I discovered another divine mercy miracle. And so I was totally surprised because in the years that I had known her, she had she had never revealed um, that very compelling backstory. So it was completely imbued with God's divine mercy. And so, and the plot really thickened. You're probably going to remember the story, but I'm not saying everything about it because I want the reader to um, experience it on their own when they're reading the book, but it really was, you know, it, the plot thickened and I discovered uh, more and more facets of God's divine mercy in this woman's life, as well as in her family too. So 
and it, and it linked to also to Father Seraphim too. You might remember now what I'm talking about. Yeah. It was just really incredible how, you know, one thing led to another mm -hmm. and, and the story unfolded and then, you know, and it was an amazing divine mercy miracle. So you and that wasn't even, even, you kind I'm of sorry. encountered God's providence in the course of this, it sounds like. Yes, yes, it happens with every book, God's providence. It's just truly amazing. And he just provides, and especially I feel with this book, he just kept providing and providing. It doesn't mean that it was effortless to write this book. As mm -hmm. you know, Chris, there is a lot of spiritual warfare involved in, in doing the work, as you know, but we give glory to God and um, we continue putting one foot in front of the other to walk in faith. Um, but the, the stories just kept unfolding and I, I marveled at it. I was just like, wow, Lord, you are so amazing. You never cease to amaze me. Why am I always amazed? Because you're God. You can do anything. Yep. But he's really something, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Let me let me ask you, how does mercy need to guide the relationships between men and women? And by relationships, they don't just mean romantic. I mean, you know, all the different ways that men and women are related either as neighbors or colleagues or other family members or um, fellow parishioners, fellow Christians? Right. Well, first and foremost, mercy always has to guide every single relationship. And if, if not, I, I feel like what kind of a relationship is it? Is it one-sided? Is it a dictatorship? Mm -hmm. You know, is that of God? Because he calls us to love one another. And, you know, the first and greatest commandment, as we know, is we should love God with all our heart with all our soul, with all our mind and our neighbor as ourselves. So if we're not merciful and loving with a sacrificial and authentic love, which is, of course, putting the other first, and that doesn't mean being a doormat or mm -hmm. anything like that, but it truly, it's truly loving with God's love, using the virtues, you know, being patient, slow to anger, merciful, showing God's mercy throughout all of our, you know, relationships within every single kind of relationship um mercy i i really believe has to be present god's love and mercy transforms hearts and souls mm -hmm. sometimes during a you know a friendship relationship there might be times when it's it's not like a 50 50 kind of thing it might be more 90 10 or you know because one person's struggling and we really need to rise to the occasion and to really you know be more sacrificial in our in our love and our practicing of the virtues, you know, um, to help that person in that relationship. But God is, God's the one who works the miracles in the relationships. And I think it's important to remember too, that we're all works in progress, you know, yeah. even saints have fell, but they pick themselves up and they move forward in faith with God's mercy, grace, and love. So we, we try our best in all of these different relationships, you know, but we're, it's, we're not going to be perfect. We're striving to be holy and yep. we just keep going and with God's help and confession, you know, um, we, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get to heaven someday. Okay. And give me the 30 second answer of one of the big questions. What does Mary, the blessed Virgin Mary show us about living divine mercy? Are you kidding me? 30 seconds on Mary. I know, I know. the oh. thesis statement that then they'll read the rest in your book. Oh. I don't know. Well, the mother of God is all about divine mercy. You know, mm -hmm. one of her titles, you know, mother of mercy, queen of mercy. She's filled with mercy. She cooperated fully with God's grace. God, you know, she, she's all about souls. She's all about saving souls. She's just filled with mercy. And St. Faustina loved her and yeah. 
Mother Mary took her on as her daughter and, and taught her so much about mercy. I can say so much about the Blessed Mother. I'm sorry, I'm not very articulate with putting it into 30 seconds, but that's quite all right. We need, we need Mary in our relationships, all our relationships. We need Mary. Um, we need Mary in our lives, and she's not somebody who's far, far away, but she's right with us and she wants to help us. Our listeners can find more about all of this in Divine Mercy in a Woman's Life, Milestones Along the Way by Donna Marie Cooper O'Boyle. Um, Donna Marie, thanks for being with us today. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for having me. God bless you. You too. To order Donna Marie Cooper O'Boyle's new book, Divine Mercy in a Woman's Life, Milestones Along the Way, please visit shopmercy.org. For more Sparks of Mercy and other shows from the Marian Fathers, visit www.thedivinemercy.org slash podcasts. Pray for me, I'll pray for you. Jesus, I trust in you. I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Thank you.